This week in Revolt Black News, the DNC convention goes virtual as Joe Biden and Kamala Harris laid out their vision for the next four years. Now they discussed their goal to restore the soul of this country, but we know that when it comes to hope within the culture, well, there's a lot of work and restoration that needs to happen. So as we look to the prospects for our culture and community, we can't just stop at a presidential election. Oh no, see, we've got to go further. We've got to look at the industry that's projected to be worth almost $100 billion within the next seven years. And as a community, this industry has also disproportionately incarcerated us. So today, we're going to shine a big, bright light on the cannabis industry. Because, see, it doesn't just deserve us to be equitable in the industry. You see, if we play our cards right, legal cannabis, it can actually serve as part of our overdue reparations. Our empowerment as a people comes in so many forms. So today, we're going to show you how to get into the green game and how doing so can fortify a black future. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. Now with today's cannabis conversation, y'all know we got to get to the business itself. So helping us out unpacking the business hip-hop legend and co-host of Drink Champs, which of course is right here on Revolt. He's also got his very own cannabis strand, Nori. What's up, Nori? Good. Also with us, the co-owners of a lifestyle brand called Deuces 22. It's Tyler Sally and her dad. You might know him, four-time NBA champ, John Sally. Welcome to the show, Sally's. Thank Hi, you. Thank you for having us. Okay, so Nori, I want to start with you. You, legend in the game, uh, always been a, a proud uh, connoisseur of, of cannabis, weed, marijuana, Mary Jane, whatever we want to call it. Uh, and hip-hop and weed, they've always had crossover, right? So as somebody who started off as a rapper... Uh, as a hip-hop artist, what made you decide to go from being just an artist and a cannabis consumer to a cannabis creator? I always kind of like mm -hmm. felt better when I when I was involved with cannabis and things like that. So when I got presented an opportunity, uh, you know, a whole bunch of people or different companies had approached me. I was just like, you know, I was done being a rapper. I wanted to be an owner. I wanted to own my strand. I wanted to, you know what I'm saying? Um, I, I wanted to live out, you know, Jay-Z's lyrics and things like that. And like, you know what I'm saying? So when the company gave me the, ch the chance, you know, to not only own my strand, but actually partner up on other opportunities with it, it was just something that I wanted to do. You know what I mean? It, it just made right, total Nora, sense. John and Tyler, you guys are doing something incredible. Talk to us a little bit about Deuces 22 and how it came about and did you guys have any hesitation about doing business, um, you know, as family members, direct family members? No, I knew that if I was going to start a business, I'd have to involve my dad because I don't trust anyone um, like I trust my dad. And I feel like he's been around and knows kind of what he's doing sometimes. Um, I think we have a great dynamic together. So I think that's kind of why we got into it. But it was more like I love cannabis. I love traveling. And I feel like it's not as accessible to have great cannabis everywhere. Now, Tyler, you've spoken about how the cannabis industry, as it stands currently, is projected to have uh, over $100 billion uh, accumulated over the next seven years. Not a lot of black people. The vast majority of the business side on the legal cannabis side of things, white or non-black. Uh, but we know with the war on drugs, it was black people getting locked up for weed everywhere. Many of them still are locked up right now as we talk about legal cannabis and all the money to be made. We know it's a lot of brothers and sisters locked up right now. Can you elaborate, Tyler, on uh, what motivates you to do this work and uh, making sure that we don't get left behind as a, as a culture? Well, the main reason why most black people are left behind is because there's still a lot of stigma towards the cannabis plant as a whole. 
and that needs to be changed. It comes from education. The whole idea is black people basically were the pioneers of this industry, and it's not fair that you go into a boardroom and it's 90% white, and we are that 10%, if you will, and that's so not cool. And so we're trying to bring that recognition as well as bring opportunities to other black leaders. So that's why we've joined with social equity programs to promote other black um, businesses in the cannabis space. Um, we joined with Green Haven in California just to promote that. No, you see how smart she is? I don't have to say that. That's She's right. Brilliant. You, you did a good her. job. Yeah. You did a good job. You did a good job. So, Nori, let me ask you this. Speaking to what Tyler and John just left off, the business side of it, who's in the room when you go to make these deals? So who's in the deal-making rooms with you? Tyler already said it. John said it. You said it. A lot of these folks are white. They don't look like us. What's their, what's their vibe? Is it always the button-up, suited-up corporate type? Is it a variety? And what would you say to people that are worried that they would not fit in on, on the business side of cannabis? So, um, yeah, the people that at Cherry... They're 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 um they're white, you know what I'm saying? But Super Thug, who we do, we we all black company. I like to say that. So is Drink Champs. Drink Champs. Everybody who works on Drink Champs to hold the camera is black and Latino. Not there's white people who's on the set as well. But I'm just saying, for dark, yeah. that's what we do. We we self sufficient. We learn how to do it. So I wanted to do. I learned how to do that in music. When I was when I mm. uh was doing music, uh I would look and I would see the engineers. My friends get engineer. So I would pay my friends. Yeah. And to tell you the truth, even like, I mean, just like in every other culture, when you look at the what's, what's hip on the market, you look at, you know, it's, it's, it's a brand named Runts. It's a brand named Cookies. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, or you look at these hip, mm -hmm. these hip things. It's all made from our culture. We make, we, we make exactly. what's, what's hot hip. We make what's hot hip. And we tell you, we, we dictate to the customers, you know, look, this is this is this is what we're doing. Like from every uh, strand of weed, from sour diesel to 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 to, to cookies to 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 to, to cushments, it's us who are saying, yeah. yo, this is what to smoke, and the people go out there and they purchase that. So why not us own those actual businesses that we're saying to to, to go smoking and and go be a part of? You know what I'm saying? Well, that's why we're that's why we're doing this show. Thank you, Nori. That's why we're doing this show is because personally, and I'll, I'm gonna just tell y'all the, the truth. I'm not a weed person. I'm not a, a, a cannabis weed person. No judgment. It's just not my jam. However, I am very much so a money person. I'm very much so a money person. So therefore, there has got to be a place for me in the cannabis industry. So I'm going to ask, I'm going to start with you, Tyler and John. Then I'm coming to you, Nori. If I'm just a regular person on the street and I got $500, $1,000, $5,000, maybe $10,000, and I want to make an investment into cannabis, where do I start? I would honestly say invest in our company. Um, no, I think okay. that it would be the best thing to get into some type of social equity group because a collection of money just goes farther. And I love that question because I just want people to know I don't only only have Super Thug OG. I also have another strand coming out with Cherry after that two months later called Jesus Toenails. It stinks. Yes, it stinks great. It stinks wonderful. It's Are you, Jesus you serious? It's I'm called Jesus Toenails? Jesus Toenails. It stinks beautifully. And I want to invest in things that I like. So I used to go to this, right. uh, I used to go to the Spencer's in LA and there used to be this uh, uh, pre-road company called Lowell. So I got, got mm -hmm. I searched this company down and I got to be an uh, investor in Lowell as well. I say, listen, man, I got 10 grand. This 10 grand means a lot to me. You know what I'm saying? I ain't right. trying to, I want to flip. And then you, 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 you do your research. You know what I'm saying? 
me personally, I was invested in companies that I personally like, that I personally use. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm a Pinot Grigio mm -hmm. guy. You won't you won't catch me, you know, investing in, into a, a Merlot company because you know why? I don't right. drink Merlot. Yeah. Sorry, tell him so you like funny. sweet uh -huh. wine because you're black. You like sweet wine because you're black. Okay, he's, he's a little bit of He's a John, we got to go to drink champs as a former athlete. Um, there's a lot of talk about uh, we cannabis and sports. Some athletes say it helps them relieve muscle recovery, mental anxiety, things like that. But like you said, a lot of players have lost a lot, everything because of failed uh, marijuana tests and things like that. What's your take on athletes and marijuana? And do you think that the league should just allow for marijuana use since it is so prevalent? I think the league should allow it if they want their players to last. Um, mm -hmm. I haven't really heard of any DU highs. Uh, you're not going to have guys driving around high. And, it, and alcohol is detrimental to your liver. Mm -hmm. This right here is mm -hmm. proving to be good for your kidneys and your liver and your bloodstream. That's super educational, John. Now, this is my last, last question for you. And thank you for just profound insight and unique analysis there. You are the first NBA player to win three rings with three different champions, uh, three different franchises, rather. Uh, we know Robert Horry did it. I want to ask you, is Kawhi Leonard next in line to win three rings with three different franchises? Oh. Uh. I, I was my last team was the Lakers, so it's kind of hard for me to say that a Clippers would win a championship. What you yeah. say now, John? I can't hear you. I can't hear you, John. Harder. What you saying? I love Doc Rivers, <laughs> but it's hard to come out of bounds. Uh, I think so. I think Ka Ka Kawhi is an unbelievable player. Tyler, John, Nori, thank you guys so much for educating us on the inside workings of the cannabis industry. Okay, so now we're going to hear from the nation's youngest black woman dispensary owner, Hope Wiseman. Let's take a look. Hey, what's up, Revolt? My name is Hope Wiseman, and I'm the youngest black woman to own a dispensary in America. I'm really excited to be here today. You know, I was really inspired to get into the industry mainly, well, at first it was about the economic opportunity there was. Um, I got into the industry pretty early in 2014. Um, and I really just saw the opportunity to get into an industry that would be worth billions and billions of dollars um, at the ground floor level. And it was so unique to me because this industry is uh, unlike any other. This industry was not a brand new industry like a lot of uh, upcoming industries are. Um, this industry already had a really, really huge illicit market. Um, so really, it is our opportunity to convert the illicit market now to a legal one. Um, and we already kind of know what that market looks like. So I already knew the opportunity. I understood how quickly this industry would grow. And I understood uh, how important it would be to get in at the ground floor level. Um, so although there's a lot of red tape around the industry right now, I really, really see um, how the early players are going to really have a huge market share uh, in the future. And that's what inspired me to get into the industry. And ultimately, that's what led to uh, Mary and Maine. I would say anyone that's interested in opening up a dispensary, um, get in early in your state, as early as you can, be involved in the legislative process. 
Uh, so one, that you understand what's happening. Two, so you can influence the laws that will govern the program that you are about to be a part of. And three, so you can um, connect with those legislators that will be continuously creating cannabis legislation over the next I'd say 10 to 15 years um, until the industry is settled. Well, thanks guys so much for your time. I'm really happy to share these tips with you. I just want to see someone come take the title from right under me. I don't want to be the youngest African-American in the space anymore. So please somebody come behind me. Let's see more black women in the space. was alive and well at this year's DNC convention. Like black women have always done, they showed up and showed out from the start. Those who shifted the primary were rightfully given their time. This election is the most important in the modern history of this country. And black folks from across the nation officially named the nominee. And he showed that he is willing to listen. So we listened to him. And as a community that knows pain, we heard his too. And an old ally came through for the endorsement. What I quickly came to admire about Joe Biden is his resilience, born of too much struggle. His empathy, born of too much grief. Joe is a man who learned early on to treat every person he meets with respect and dignity. But as usual, we remind everyone that black lives matter. But it wasn't just us. We had some allies in unexpected ways. And black women continued to do what they always done. Over the past four years, a lot of people have asked me, when others are going so low, does going high still really work? My answer, going high is the only thing that works. It was all about hope, and it was alive and well, but only because of someone who originally had the audacity of hope. But hope doesn't just come from dreams at night. It comes from the dreams of day. So no need to wake any of us up. We are awake. We are up and hoping. And while hope started with black women, it'll also be a black woman who helps make our hope a reality. My mother instilled in my sister Maya and me the values that would chart the course of our lives. She taught us to put family first, the family you're born into and the family you choose. Okay, so last night was the third night of the DNC convention, and we got to see Senator Kamala Harris formally accept her nomination as Vice President of the United States. Now, for many black folks, it was extremely exciting, but there's others that just cannot get behind the former prosecutor for a variety of reasons. So we're going to keep it fair here, and we're going to have a different perspective in a little bit. But first, helping me out is the political editor at Essence Magazine, Ms. Tanya Christian. Welcome to the show, T. Thank you for having me. All right, T. So Senator Harris gave us a speech that was full of a lot of gems last night, um, a lot of poignant things. One of them was that she said that there is no vaccine for racism. We simply have to do the work. Uh, she also sent out a little bit of a subliminal note there when she said, I know a predator when I see one, clearly talking about President Trump. Uh, Tanya, what were some of your favorite moments and biggest takeaways? 
Yeah. So honestly, one of my favorite moments from her speech was when she talked about family and what that looks like, who those people are. She mentioned her husband first. She mentioned her stepchildren. But then she also went into her Howard family and her Alpha Kappa Alpha family and her sister. And I just really like that moment because I really feel like it brought us in to her identity and how she identifies. Speaking of her identity, I think that's a great point. Um, there are many in the community that, that, that see and accept Kamala Harris as the black woman that she tells us that she is um, and the life that she has lived as such. Um, but there's some folks in the culture that seem to be litigating um, the blackness of Kamala Harris. What's your take on that? What's your response to that? Yeah, I think that's always tough. Um, it's interesting when we start doing like degrees of blackness and levels of blackness. I've been seeing this rumor that when she was, uh, when she entered into the Senate, she entered in as an Indian woman and that only now that she was running for office and now is VP, is she black, which I push back against. Uh, I don't ever remember her being in the political space. So district attorney, attorney general mm -hmm. saying I'm not black. Uh, Essence wrote an article on her in, in 2009 and in 2016. She was black then. Um, I believe she was black when she pledged Alpha Kappa Alpha. I believe she was black when she attended Howard University, a historically black college or a historically black university. So I do believe that she identifies as black. And I think as a community, uh, we should probably stop uh, putting people on levels of blackness. I think it's a really raggedy narrative that says that we're going to litigate and pick apart any of our sisters and brothers levels of blackness. I agree with you, Tanya. I've only ever heard Kamala Harris refer to herself and identify as black. She fully celebrates and embraces uh, her Indian mother. Yes, but we know as black people, um, yeah, our individual blackness can also encompass nationalities and ethnicities that are broad. So I, I think it's a, a pretty whack thing that some folks in the culture like to do. Let me ask you this, though. What about the notion that, you know, as a prosecutor, Kamala Harris is seen as, as a cop and we know the culture and cops uh, have a, a well-earned, distrustful and skeptical relationship. What do you think about that? And do you think her record as prosecutor is being fairly critiqued? So I'll say this. Um, I do understand the distrust towards law enforcement and the criminal justice system because it has not been kind to the black community. But I agree with the notion that we have to be able to change the system from the inside. Now, I've spoken to a number of prosecutors, um, State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby in Baltimore, State's Attorney uh, Kim Fox in Chicago. Uh, they believe that Senator Harris is a progressive prosecutor and that honestly the things that they've been able to do in Chicago and in Maryland would not be possible without her coming forward and doing the programs like Back on Track and, and really working with the recidivism rates in California. People can push as much as the system allows, right? There's obviously going to be pushback when it's never been done before. So I understand people don't want incremental change. They want a complete overhaul immediately. 
I do think that a Biden-Harris ticket will get us closer to that. Yeah, Tanya, it's really interesting because, you know, my background uh, before I was in broadcasting was as a criminal defense lawyer. So I was a public defender and also uh, eventually a private defense lawyer. And so I was working with prosecutors daily, um, and most of them did not look like us. As I said on The Breakfast Club, T, I would rather it be Kamala Harris on the other side of that table uh, when my client's life and liberty is on the line than, oh, I don't know, William Barr or uh, Jeff Sessions or, you know, some of the other notorious prosecutors that we know, um, Rudy Giuliani, you know, that we know about. And so that's the thing. Somebody is going to be prosecuting those cases, right? Because that's what the system requires. As black folk, we do ourselves a grave disservice uh, when we start mass labeling and, and antagonizing and labeling them as, as, as problematic to the entire culture. When truly, there are some prosecutors, Tanya, that are uh, really trying to do work that advances social justice. And it's just part of, it's part of the process. I feel that, because there are a number of people who say, well, I'm not voting for that ticket, that's racist. I think there are certain programs, right, that maybe she uh, tried to institute. For instance, the, the schooling one, uh, mm-hmm. where it was intended for good, but the outcome did not necessarily match the the what she was trying to fix, right? Did the rates, did, did the truancy rates drop? Yes. But what I'm seeing is not an intention to harm. Whereas often we see with the current administration, there is an intent to harm black communities. That's not what I'm seeing with Biden and Harris. And so I think we need to be very mindful of that. And as you said, there's a lot floating around, even with the truancy program. Oh, she locked up a number of uh, mothers. Parents. From my understanding, nobody ever went to jail um, from that program. And I'm not saying that makes it right. But what I'm saying is we do need to do the research and we need to make sure that we're informed before we start completely casting people out and saying we're not going to vote uh, on November 3rd. It's it's too important to just base our decision on what we heard. Personally, it's enough for me to vote Biden-Harris just because I cannot Imagine the devastation Trump will do to black America for four more years. But I know that's not every black person. Right. Like we said. And so therefore, Biden and Harris do have that responsibility to make the compelling case for while they're not just not Trump, but they're good for black America. Tanya, thank you so much for your time and for really shining a light on the milestone of Senator Kamala Harris being named the VP nominee. Now, listen, there are a lot of folks very excited about Biden choosing Harris as his running mate and what that means for the culture. But there are some that are less enthused and they have voiced concerns for Kamala Harris's prosecutorial past. So we're going to keep the conversation going and we're going to bring in somebody who does oppose Senator Harris's views. So joining me is rapper Gunplay to help share his thoughts. Welcome to the show, Gunplay. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. Let's get straight to it, Gunplay. Where exactly do you stand on Senator Kamala Harris? Um, anti, opposed. Anti. And why is that? Why are you anti Kamala Harris? Um, because she's coming into, you know, a, a, a seat of power that she's a prosecutor at heart. 
once a prosecutor, always a prosecutor, you know what I'm saying? So if she gets in the office, she has taken a stand on prison reform and all that, the campaign for prison reform. But I think she's just doing that because she knows how many people she done locked up. You know what I mean? She done locked up a whole bunch of folks. So like, you know, now she's just trying to like cover her tracks and trying to like, you know, I, that's how I feel. I go with my gut when I like that. People are going to say, oh, you don't have the facts and facts and all of that. I mean, the facts are there, but, you know, a lot is suppressed as well. So, you know, you're going to get what you can, you know, what they what they allow you to get information wise. OK, but I hear what you're saying, which is that because of the current climate, there is such skepticism and you personally have a strong distrust for what's being reported as facts. I can offer you this gunplay. I I used to be a, a, a defense lawyer. I was a public right. defender and then I was a private defense lawyer. So mm -hmm. I would be the attorney kind of on the opposite side um, of cases with prosecutors like Kamala Harris. So the one thing I will offer you by way of facts is when we work in a court okay. system, we do work in, in what's called a public, it's a public sector. And so therefore, who you defend, who you prosecute, who's locked up, who's not, who's incarcerated, who's not, that is... Uh, for public consumption. There are government records, state records that can tell you the truth and reality on that point. I just want to offer you that, brother, in, in terms of fact-checking. What do you think about this gunplay? There are rappers out there like Plies um, who's pointed out that while Senator Harris has prosecuted many, many of those are, are frankly people they needed to be put away. Rapists, child molesters, people like that. So do you think as a prosecutor, when you do put people away, so to speak, you put put people in jail, that there are some people that belong in jail. What's, what's your response to absolutely. that? Absolutely. There are people that, that, that need to be put in time out and um, need to, you know, some need rehabilitation. Some, some are just gone. Some are institutionalized. I think you make a point that represents a lot of the culture, especially, frankly, a lot of black men in the culture that feel there's an innate distrust for cops. And that's well earned. I, I personally can understand that. And as a former prosecutor, a former um, state prosecutor, she was considered the top cop of California. Senator Harris fits into that. Well, Do yeah, well, I, that I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't. I'm not going to just for that simple fact. It's like you, you, you are this. Your life's goal is to, is, is to clink, clink, clink. You know what I'm saying? So it's like the last little liberties and freedoms we have left are gone. They're diminished by the hour. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So what? When she gets in, I mean, it's not. You know, you got the doc. The doctors really run the world. You know, the doctors running the world. You mm. know what I mean? So when she gets in here, now you're gonna have. You know, she's gonna just like. You know, the chaos is going on with the protesters and everything. She's just gonna. She's gonna lock everything down on a pro, pro prosecutor style. All right, gunplay. Uh, lots of takes, hot takes, lots of, of thought and candor from you. And we appreciate your opinion. And we especially appreciate your time. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. So we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to get in today's headlines. We've got more Revolt Black News after this. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. These are your headlines. In some much needed justice, a $600 million class action lawsuit has been settled with the Flint, Michigan residents for the government's role in the tragic water crisis that exposed 100,000 citizens to elevated lead levels. Now, the governor at the time, Rick Snyder, said he changed the city's water source to the Flint River in order to save money. But everybody's paying the price now, but especially 
the health of those citizens. Larry M. DeMore, he's one of the two men serving a life sentence for the murder of Michael Jordan's dad, James Jordan. He's been granted a parole release date for 2023. Now in North Carolina, where the murder took place, convicts are not eligible for parole for crimes committed after October 1st, 1994. But James Jordan was murdered in 1993. So the parole that this individual is being eligible for, it's actually part of a vocational and scholastic program. It's exactly the kind of rehabilitation program that some prosecutors believe can lead to rehabilitation. Now, outbreaks of coronavirus are sweeping college campuses all across the U.S. But despite the CDC's warnings of dorms being high-risk hubs for spreading the disease, many schools and universities continue to fill up dormitories at full capacity and refuse to switch to virtual learning. Now, although several colleges are forbidding large gatherings, police are shutting down parties, obviously they can't control everybody. So here's a video of a student at Oklahoma State. Now, my own university, UNC Chapel Hill, was another one of these universities that, you know, opened up at pretty regular capacity only to shut down a couple weeks later after the massive spread of COVID-19. So again, we knew this would happen. And young people are actually now being identified by health experts as the primary number one cause of rising COVID cases across the nation. Y'all, please wear your mask, social distance, and be careful. After nationwide outrage and whistleblowers from within the United States Postal Service, Postmaster General Louis DeJoy, he's agreed to halt all further operational cuts to USPS until after the November election. Now, many, however, say that a lot of the damage has already been done because it's reported that hundreds of mail sorting machines have already been disposed of or even fully destroyed. Now, this all comes on the heels of what sources are saying is the work a PR firm, Weber Shadwick. Now that firm is helping the USPD distance itself from the White House mail-in voting rhetoric and obvious disdain of President Trump. Now it's been reported that DeJoy will appear in a public service announcement to really assure the American people that voting by mail in the upcoming election will be entirely safe. Now the reason this is difficult for some people to swallow is DeJoy, who's supposed to make this PSA announcement, is the very individual that was indirectly appointed to his job by President Trump. All right, now on a fourth and final night of the DNC convention, Joe Biden will formally accept the presidential nomination. And last night, Senator Kamala Harris formally accepted her nomination as VP. Let's look. Let's fight with conviction. Let's fight with hope. Let's fight with confidence in ourselves and a commitment to each other to the America we know is possible. Watching Senator Kamala Harris accept that vice presidential nomination of the United States of America last night, y'all, it was an extremely powerful and special moment. I think for me, I think for black women and girls across this country and world, and I think for our whole country, uh, I think that a lot of us have struggled to feel any sense of hope or optimism over the last three and a half years. And I think this moment, particularly last night when Kamala Harris accepted that nomination, represents an opportunity for a turning point. This is an opportunity for a do-over that has the highest stakes imaginable. Let's make sure that we take advantage of it. And with a lot of eyes on the NBA playoffs, many are going to shift their attention tonight to the NBA's lottery drawing right after the Bucks' magic game. Now, a lot of teams got their hopes on a high draft pick, but it's the Warriors 
Cleveland Cavs, and the Timberwolves, who all share the highest odds of landing that number one draft spot. All right, and that's it for today's headlines. Now coming up, Shanita Penny and Congresswoman Barbara Lee, they're going to discuss cannabis policy initiatives. You don't want to miss it. We've got more Revolt Black news after this. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. Now it's time to get in some black excellence in entertainment. This week, we've got none other than Hollywood Unlocked's Jason Lee. My friend Jason, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me again. First up, congrats are in order for the Revolt family. As The Breakfast Club, they have officially been inducted into the Radio Hall of Fame. Um, this is huge, Jason, uh, here at Revolt. We're excited for our teammates and The Breakfast Club, a game changer for the culture, right? Yeah, they're, they're really, I've said this many times in different interviews, they're literally the best platform to talk to. I even like them more than my mm. own show. Um, I think that they not only move the culture <laughs> forward, but they have provocative conversations that I think we need to have. And I'm, I'm just proud that they were able to finally get their roses. Absolutely. First ballot uh, at that. That is huge. So proud of them. Uh, Charlemagne, DJ Envy, and of course, Miss Angela Yee, congratulations to you all. Also, congratulating Sway Calloway, also inducted into the Radio Hall of Fame this year. Of course, Jason, we know Sway from Sway in the Morning and, of course, his decades in journalism all the way back to his MTV days. We salute you, Sway. Jason, um, I mean, I don't even really remember a time where there was black entertainment news and we didn't have Sway, right? I mean, I come from Northern California, so I remember Sway from the Bay Area, you know, so Sway's been a legend Mm. for a long time. And um, I've never done his show, but I've always watched his interviews. And I love how, you know, all of us do something different, you know, uh, and I love how he's able to really get them comfortable. They do their music and then he goes in with the kill with these, you know, really good questions. So, I mean, he's another one that deserves it. Indeed. Yeah, I've been blessed, Jason, to do Sway in the morning a couple of times. And each time I do it, what I love about him is he really is unafraid to go there with the political questions, with the um, the stuff that really moves the culture forward uh, beyond entertainment, which is important as well. And I want to just give a special congratulations to uh, the legendary Angie Martinez and the legendary Donnie Simpson. Uh, all of them were inducted this year. I mean, it's it's really been powerful, Jason. Rapper, activist, and Oscar winner Common. He's debuted his new wellness series called Calm and Well. Now, the six-episode series is going to be on Common's YouTube channel. You can watch the conversations and the demonstrations with health and wellness experts, stemming all, many of them, from his own wellness journey. Um, and this is going to be huge, Jason, and I'm excited to watch And I know you're on your own wellness journey. So, like, what do you think about this kind of content in general? I think it's the right time for it. With with the pandemic, then with the Black Lives Matter and George Floyd stuff, just escalating beyond a point that we had ever seen in the country. I do, too. And like you said, Jason, Common's not a stranger to using his platform to avail himself to kind of every need of the culture in so many ways, right? Whether it's um, police brutality, whether it's the killing of unarmed black men and women, whether it is mental health. And now this extension with the wellness platform, um, I'm totally here for it. And I appreciate that, too. Okay, so sports journalism's queens. Yeah, Carrie Champion and Jamel Hill. They premiered their new show, Stick to Sports, on Vice TV. And of course, contrary to its name, that show tackles culture, entertainment, any and all topics. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't intersect with sports. Um, Jamel and Carrie are both individuals I've looked up to. They have been peer mentors of mine. And I'm, I'm thrilled to see these sisters continuing with their own platform. 
both are extremely intelligent both are very they know how to articulate the point in a way that corporate gets it and that we get it and uh i'm excited to see this i haven't seen it yet because uh, i've been on vacation but i'm excited to see it and both deserve it at this year's primetime emmys tyler perry and the perry foundation they're going to receive the 2020 governor's award now perry along with his foundation being recognized for their achievements and their commitments in television. They offer so many opportunities to marginalized communities through inclusion, engagement, employment, and so many other philanthropic uh, initiatives. Jason, you just said it. Ownership is the new black. And hardly anybody knows that better than Tyler Perry. We were just having a uh, conversation last night about uh, Tyler Perry and the Medea tape days and the hustle coming out <laughs> of home in a geo storm or geo metro and being able to build his empire. Yep. You know, I'd had a conversation before with Ayanla about the Tylers and the Oprahs and those people who reached a certain level of success. I would want to say to them, and congratulations on that, Tyler, is that inclusion also means that when you are black and make it to a certain level of success, that you remember all of those on the same journey you found yourself on and include them. Because I do believe there is a generational gap for young people that don't know a Tyler Perry or a uh, Oprah in terms of like all of what they mean to the culture and so bridging that gap with the people who have those people I think is important. Congratulations to him. It's well deserved. I think you're exactly right and with that I'm going to do um, an over ask <laughs> Oprah and Tyler Perry please come on Revolt Black News and Hollywood Unlocked so we Jason and I can be your bridge connectors because in all sincerity hey. Jason, you're exactly right and I think it's hugely important. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Jason, thanks so much for helping me out with this week's Black Excellence in Entertainment. Appreciate you, as always. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And ahead, Shanita Penny and Congresswoman Barbara Lee discuss all the cannabis policy initiatives. And listen, you don't want to miss it. We've got more Revolt Black News after this. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. I am Shanita Penny, business strategist and entrepreneur in the cannabis industry. I am here today to lead a discussion on cannabis and politics. Joining me is U.S. Representative of California's 13th Congressional District and co-chair of the Cannabis Caucus. Please welcome to the show, Congresswoman Barbara Lee. Thank you very much. Really happy to be with you, Shanita. Happy to see you again. Support for cannabis legalization has never been higher. More than two-thirds of Americans support using cannabis and say that it should be legal. With 33 medical markets and 11 adult use markets in the U.S., some of us have forgotten just what it's like and just what it was like in 1998, two years after California passed Prop 215, creating the United States' first medical marijuana market. Congresswoman, walk us through your freshman year on the Hill to today and walk us through that evolution of cannabis legalization. So I've been working in this space, not only as a chief of staff to a member of Congress, but also when I was in the California legislature and now in Congress. So this wasn't anything new uh, for me uh, to be intricately involved in. It was really a heavy lift then to even talk about it. So I joined the Cannabis Caucus and uh, of course we've been fighting on all the tax issues on the business issues which we have to keep doing but when i joined it we hadn't really looked at the whole justice factor and justice issues in um, the whole cannabis space and so i decided to take that on and uh, became uh, the first woman and the first african-american 
woman or man member of Congress to co-chair the Cannabis Caucus. And so up until now, I've been fighting and pushing uh, the Cannabis Caucus to address not only the Marijuana Justice Act, the MORE Act, also the Respect Act and what some call the Reefer Act, which is the Refer Act, which <laughs> gives some space for the inclusion of African-American and minority-owned companies in the cannabis industry. That is quite an extensive record and, and a lot of work that you've done. Let's talk about the respect resolution specifically because that was something uh, near and dear to me and it really catapulted the conversation around equitable legislation, not only at the federal level, but at the local and state government levels as well. It was the first one that really highlighted the fact that less than 1% of the owners uh, are uh, African-American. And so I, right. I thought this is outrageous you know i've had to deal with the tech sector and their uh racism i've had to deal with the, the private sector the federal government in terms of racial equity i said so here we are at the beginning of this burgeoning new industry and we have the same issues it's so i said Let, let's do something early on on the front end so i introduced the respect uh resolution legislation and sets forth uh first the policy debate and the arguments why we need to have uh, racial equity and inclusion in this uh, industry but also until we get it passed it does give state and local communities a roadmap. and so i'm saying you know how the republicans are and how slow legislation is but i want to keep working on this because as we do we find more local and state governments beginning to use this as sort of a roadmap to what they want to do and to set up their offices of equity uh, in their own uh, local jurisdictions. Absolutely. And you know, our fight is day in and day out. We didn't need a pandemic to, you know, really look at what's happening in our industry and, and decide to do better. But here we are. Um, a year ago, I testified before the Small Business Committee about why the cannabis industry uh, and small businesses within the industry specifically need access to the SBA. Um, and now our country is in crisis. You know, from a health perspective, from an economic perspective, and and absolutely from a <laughs> a political perspective, and and we're turning the corner on that now. We have Senator Kamala Harris, who has now been named the uh, vice presidential candidate. Tell me, what do you see in a Biden Harris administration as it relates to cannabis legalization? I think it's a very positive uh, development uh, with, with Kamala Harris being our vice presidential uh, selection to be nominee because uh, once she gets it, she's had experience, she's from California, she knows this industry and she knows the laws very well and she supports legalization. Uh, the vice president, Biden, hasn't quite got there yet. He supports uh, decriminalization, he supports the expungement of records. He supports uh, restorative justice, and he supports medicinal marijuana, and also he does support, which I think is, is important, not allowing the federal government to interfere where states have passed either legalization or medicinal marijuana. But just as President e uh, Obama evolved around marriage equality, uh, Joe Biden's going to have to re uh, evolve around legalization. And I think that uh, Senator Harris as vice president will, will push that. Uh, I know I certainly will as co-chair of the Cannabis Caucus uh, to help him evolve. And I know you all will help him evolve 
to that place because uh, we can't go back. We can only go forward, and going forward means uh, descheduling. And so I'm confident that uh, we'll get there, but it, it's a heavy lift, and everybody's got to be engaged. But with, with uh, Vice, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris there, I'm uh, even more confident and more positive that we'll get this done. You're absolutely right. We have to deschedule. Descheduling creates an opportunity to truly um, address the harms of the drug war, to create and take advantage of all of the potential economic benefits. Uh, but the first um, hurdle that we have to to address is that uh, descheduling, and it's important. I'd like to you know challenge everybody watching this to make sure they reach out to their elected officials and make sure that they are supporting. Um, the inclusion of the cannabis industry uh, and safe banking in the next round of coronavirus relief uh, because it's critical. This industry has stepped up. We've been deemed essential in states where it's legal. And now it's up to, you know, the government, our Congress, to really look at the cannabis industry and respect the industry the same way it does every other tax paying industry in yeah. this country. But you know what, you also have to increase that street heat in terms of elections, in terms of political organizing. Because between now and November, what's going to be key is to get House members and Senate members accountable, get involved in elections and, and take out those members uh, by elections, don't vote for them who don't support our agenda, and make sure we have members of the House and the Senate and the White House who support us. This time, this is going to be a virtual election, <laughs> mail-in ballots, if, if, if they don't try to, they're trying to steal it now, but we're going to stop that. And so just get engaged in the political process because that's got to happen in this industry. Absolutely. I could not have said it better. Thank you so much, Representative Lee, for your time. And thanks, Revolt, for the space to have this conversation. Okay, and thanks for having me. Let's revolt in November. Let's have our revolution, okay? <laughs> the revolution will be televised. That's, that's exactly it. Good seeing everybody, and thank you. Thank you so much, Congresswoman Lee and Shanita Penny, for educating us on the cannabis initiatives that could create a path for equity. Thank you both for joining. All right, y'all. So we gave you a lot of game today, all about the cannabis industry. But listen, that's all moot if we don't vote. That's right, because see, the legalization of cannabis, both federally and at the state level, it all comes from progressive legislation. And if we don't elect politicians that align with that, then black folks can say goodbye to all that opportunity of the green rush. Now, we know the postmaster general, well, he's been pulling strings to get in the way of the mail-in voting process. So what we have to do, we have to first register to vote. Then we've got to get our mail-in ballots in as early as we can. Now, it's confusing because some states automatically send you a mail-in ballot. Other states require you to ask for one or even fill out an application. Then there are states that make you show an excuse. And then there are some states that won't even accept COVID concerns as a valid reason. Now, y'all, we know this is some bullshit to just silence our voices, but we will not be silenced. So please, y'all, go to suffrageoversilence.com. Find your state and read what exactly is required for you to receive your mail-in ballot. Because it's like Michelle Obama said, we've got to be willing to do whatever it takes. We've got to be willing to stand in line all night if we have to in order for our voices to be heard. For Revolt Black News, I'm Ebony K. Williams.
See you next time.